0: Go to Shopify.com slash crimes to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash crimes.
1: Good morning, and thanks for joining me for Rise in Crime, your morning caffeine hit all about crime. I'm Mama Jules, and let's get to the update on the Vanessa Gian murder out of Fort Hood, Texas. Now, a lot of you may be familiar with this case because of the Netflix documentary. Well, some justice has been served in this case with the sentencing of the woman who aided in killing Vanessa. So let's get to the details behind the murder. Vanessa was a 20-year-old described as courageous by her family. From an early age, she wanted to serve in the military and she enlisted at age 18 despite her mother having reservations about how the military is operated. She was a trained weapons mechanic who was lucky enough to be stationed near her family in Texas, which meant she saw her family nearly every weekend. Well, because of this, Her family was very aware of her emotional health while serving her country. She had told her mother that she was struggling on base. Her dream of serving in the army had become stained by what her mother calls sexual harassment. Her mother says Vanessa was trying to power through the issues, but she had begun having difficulty sleeping and just in general was not thriving in her environment. And it seemed that Vanessa wasn't the only soldier struggling with this particular base. Fort Hood had a tainted history with soldiers going missing, committing suicide, and experiencing sexual and physical harassment. Well, at this time, it was April of 2020, and COVID-19 was causing statewide lockdowns across America. Fort Hood was no exception, but Vanessa was called into the base to work anyway. She reported early that day to the Regimental Engineer Squadron Headquarters, which is basically the storage and maintenance facility for weapons and arms at Fort Hood. She had texted friends and family that morning, but by late that evening, family was getting concerned that she had not responded to any texts or phone calls. At 9 p.m., Vanessa's family alerted Fort Hood officials that Vanessa was not responding. They were told that she had not been seen since lunchtime on the base. The next day, Fort Hood Military Police issued a be-on-the-lookout for Vanessa to law enforcement agencies throughout Bell County. Now, it was discovered that Vanessa's car keys, her barracks room key, an ID card, and a wallet were left in the armory, which was very unusual for Vanessa. Friends and family said the detail-oriented and driven woman would never leave her personal items behind. Eventually, the military admitted that Vanessa had left the arms room where she was working to go to a different arms area that was controlled by Specialist Erin Robinson. See, she needed to confirm serial numbers for some specific weapons and equipment, which is why she visited the controlled arms area. But after that point, Vanessa is not seen again. Now days go by and there is still no sign of Vanessa. Her family is distraught and frustrated with the information and efforts provided by military authorities. Her family decided to start a social media campaign just to bring awareness to their missing sister and friend and daughter. Six days after Vanessa goes missing, Fort Hood authorities, according to USA Today, do finally speak with Specialist Robinson who seems to be the last person to have had contact with Vanessa. Now, Specialist Robinson claims he left the base after his shift on the day Vanessa disappeared and he returned to his residence that shared with his girlfriend, Cecily Aguilar. Now, he claims he didn't leave his home all night, except for when he returned to the post at 6.30 p.m. to sign on to a government computer in order to enroll in some sort of training. Well, as the days turned into weeks, and there is still no sign of Vanessa. The family, with the help of lawyers, launched their own investigation and search parties. On May 18th, almost a month after Vanessa's disappearance, investigators interview two witnesses who say that they saw Robinson pulling a large tough box. Okay, tough box is like a super hootie storage bin. Well, they say they saw him pulling that tough box that had wheels on it out of the arms room, and the witnesses say it appeared to be heavy. They say that Robinson loaded the tough box into his truck and drove away. The next day, investigators get Robinson to agree to have his cell phone searched. They discovered that Robinson made multiple calls to his girlfriend, Cecily, on the day of the disappearance and also early into the morning of the next day. So remember, he was supposed to be with her. So why is he calling her? Finally, nearly two months after Vanessa is last seen, Fort Hood authorities make a social media post asking for the public's help in finding Vanessa. Maybe it's a better late than never thing going on here, but two months seems like a long time. At near the same time, family members hold a press conference bringing to light the sexual harassment claims. They're asserting that she was afraid of reporting the harassment to her superiors. Now, this extra attention leads the investigators with the Army CID to hold a press conference where they state they have interviewed more than 150 people and that those interviews showed no credible information or reports that Vanessa was sexually assaulted. Now, on June 21st, investigators searched the Leon River in Belton, Texas. After mining some location data from Robinson's cell phone that, indicated he was in that area on the night of Vanessa's disappearance and then he was also there a few days later. Searchers do find a buried tough box that matches the one Robinson was last seen leaving the base with, but they do not find human remains. Nine days later, a worker building a fence near FM 436, which is along the Leon River, discovers human remains. The pressure of the discovery leads Robinson's girlfriend, Cecily, to admit to investigators that Robinson struck Vanessa in the head with a hammer, killing her on the military base. Cecily also tells investigators that they took her body to the Leon River. They dismembered Vanessa and burned the body, then buried the remains in three separate places. Now, Robinson was being held on base at this exact time that they discovered the remains. See, he had been charged with breaking COVID-19 protocols, so he was kind of in a like a babysitting situation. They had him hold up on the base. He sees the news that some remains have been found on the Leon River. He was allowed to keep his cell phone during this time. So he calls Cecily and he says, Baby, they found pieces. Now, somehow. The soldier tasked with watching Robinson allows Robinson to escape from his watch. Then eventually officers locate Robinson walking about six miles from Fort Hood. When police tried to approach him, he pulled out a weapon and he fatally shoots himself. Now Vanessa's family becomes even more angry They are still enraged about the potential sexual harassment, and now they are furious that the military had strong belief that Robinson was Vanessa's killer, and they let him slip away. Cecily was arrested for aiding in the cover-up of Vanessa's death. She was held without bond. Then, five months later... Cecily waives her right to a trial in the murder of Vanessa, and she pleads guilty to a single count of accessory after the fact, and three counts of making a false statement. All right, everything I just shared. That brings us to Cecily's sentencing hearing on Monday. Now, disturbing new details revealed on Monday that investigators said a witness who talked with Cecily claims that Cecily told the witness that Robinson had sexual intercourse with Vanessa after he had bludgeoned her with a hammer. Further testimony showed that Cecily, despite having a troubled childhood that included her mother abandoning her, the testimony decided she was fit for trial and she was of sound mind in the decisions that she made while dismembering the body with Robinson. Cecily told investigators that Robinson told her that she was involved in the murder by just knowing about it and that she might as well help him. She said they got the idea for the burning and burying of the body from an episode of Criminal Minds. Now, during her witness impact statement, Vanessa's mother, Gloria, told Judge Alan Albright that she and her youngest daughter, Lupe, had to both be hospitalized early on after finding out the details of Vanessa's death. She told the judge that she was in the courtroom for one reason, and that reason was her daughter. She called her a tremendous human being who had an enthusiasm for life. KWTX reported that during her mother's victim impact statement that most of those who were in the courtroom were crying and that even Judge Albright seemed to, at one point, wipe a tear away. Cecily did speak before sentencing, and she told the family the following, I give my sincerest apologies to the family. I'm ashamed of my actions and the person I was. My actions haunt me every day. Vanessa does not deserve what happened to her. I am hoping that one day, Miss Gian, that you will have comfort. Cecily was sentenced to 30 years in prison for the crimes against Vanessa. Okay, has the culture at Fort Hood and in the military changed at all? Well, in April of 2021, so almost one full year after Vanessa's death, the Army said it took disciplinary action against 21 officers and non-commissioned officers at Fort Hood, The punishments included firing eight senior commanders. An army report did squarely place blame on the military for allowing Vanessa's killer to escape from custody. The family has also filed a $35 million lawsuit against the army, seeking damages for Vanessa's death at Fort Hood, as well as the mental anguish that Vanessa experienced while assigned at the base. The lawsuit is still working its way through the system, but the most recent ruling says the family can carry forward with the suit because sexual assault is different than, say, someone dying while in combat. So typically, service members cannot sue for the harm they receive while serving the country, but the Ninth Circuit of Appeals ruled that sexual assault is different. And the family also successfully helped in the passing of the I Am Vanessa Gian Act, which mandated that prosecution decisions about sexual assault and harassment would be moved outside of the soldiers' chain of command. Hopefully, soldiers and women soldiers specifically can report sexual harassment and assault without fear of retribution from their commanding officers. Now, U.S. Attorney for Texas Jamie Esparza said in a statement on Monday that the state's hope is that Cecily's sentencing brings a sense of relief and justice to all the Guillen family who have endured such pain throughout the past three years. And hopefully, a female service member has been spared sexual harassment or assault because of Vanessa's family's efforts. All right, now to Florida. Okay, remember the story from the Villages community in Florida that I brought you last week, the one where an older gentleman golfer beat up another older gentleman golfer because he thought he hit his car? Well, we're back in the Villages, and again, this is two older gentlemen, and one is now dead. 59-year-old Timothy Smith was a gay activist in Florida who worked as an executive care director of an assisted living center that focuses on memory care. Timothy was a lively drag queen performer whose stage name was Augusta Wind. His performances were filled with comedy, and they tended to be the highlight performance of any show he was a part of. He was one of the first to celebrate the Supreme Court ruling of Obergefell v. Hodges that ruled that the fundamental right to marry is guaranteed to same-sex couples. He and others celebrated at a rally immediately following the decision, and then just a few short months later, he married his gay partner, Herbert Swiley. He married his gay partner, Herbert Swiley. He was well-known and highly respected in the villages where he worked as director of operations for the village's rehab. Timothy seemed to seamlessly be able to balance conservative work and living situations with his less conservative lifestyle. In an interview in 2014 with The Village's newspaper, he was quoted as saying that he would not trade one second of his life for anything, neither the good nor the so-called bad. He said his life was unique to him, and that unique path has helped him become the person he was. Well, Tim focused his occupation around person-centered care. His philosophy was to take the golden rule and elevate it to the platinum rule. He said care facilities have come a long way in the cultural change of moving what used to be a predominantly medical model of nursing homes to one that is as close to home away from home as possible. Well, the golden rule was definitely not practiced in the last moments of Tim's life. On March 25th of this year, police were called when Timothy didn't show up for work at his care facility the day before and co-workers couldn't get an answer from texts or calls all night. Investigators served a wellness check at Timothy's home, where the investigators said they discovered Timothy had been murdered, calling it a violent attack. Here's where it starts to get confusing. Shortly after the discovery, his husband Herbert, who didn't report him missing, shared the devastating news of Timothy's death on social media, telling his followers that his dearest friend and partner had died. Then, shortly after that, Herbert organized a GoFundMe to help with the funeral expenses. Okay, I've looked at many a GoFundMe description in my time when helping the podcast Murder With My Husband and also for Rise in Crime. And this has to be the most generic a GoFundMe description I've ever run across. Here, I'll just read it to you. It says, Hi, this is Timothy's spouse, raising fund for funeral and celebration of life. The money will be used for cost on funeral and celebration of life event. It will also help with expenses for the family. Because of this tragedy, there is unforeseen expenses. This has been a tragic loss for everyone, family, and friends. Okay, I'll totally forgive the weird sentence structure there. That's, I mean, it's a time of grief. That's not a big deal. It's the fact that nothing is even explained about Timothy. Not who he was, not his many accomplishments, not his passion for life and performing, nothing about the many people he helped in his career. I just find it really, really odd that you don't even mention your husband's full name. Now, since the murder in March... Herbert has made several Facebook posts about Timothy. In April, he encouraged everyone coming to Timothy's celebration of life to wear purple because it was Herbert's favorite color. He also mentioned that purple was the color they chose to decorate with for their wedding. And just two weeks ago, he wrote a happy birthday post for Timothy saying, I miss you so much and love you. Also, the post said, it's hard to not have Timothy to talk to, but that he still talks to him anyway. And then on August 8th, Herbert wrote commemorating the couple's 8th anniversary, saying he knows that Timothy is up there looking down on us and taking care of us. Well, investigators, of course, were suspicious of the spouse. They always are. That totally checks out. And last week, on the very day he made the anniversary post, the sheriff's office announced that Herbert is a person of interest in the murder of Timothy. And so is Herbert's daughter, Jordan. According to the statement, detectives spoke with both Jordan and Herbert at the earliest stages of the investigation. Since those initial interviews, both of the suspects have refused to speak again. However, in a weird twist, Herbert's attorney has said that his client will speak with investigators if he is provided immunity from prosecution for Timothy's murder. Okay, totally weird, right? And it doesn't seem like investigators are biting on Herbert's offer, The sheriff's office has hinted in statements that they have collected evidence in the crime. Now they're hoping that the community can help them fill in the missing pieces and solve Timothy's murder. They're offering a $14,500 reward for information leading to the arrest of Timothy's killer. So if you know anything, authorities are asking that you call the Marion County Crime Stoppers at 352-368-STOP. And sometimes I bring you guys cases that have very few answers. This is really one of them. Where was Herbert during the crime and why the daughter? Why are they questioning her? This is obviously one where I will be anxiously waiting for more information and then I'll share it with you. And we'll finish with this quick story that has a Hollywood twist. Michael Orr. You might know that name. He's the former NFL player whose story of poverty and then adoption was the basis for the box office smash, The Blind Side. Well, remember the one with Sandra Bullock? On Monday, Michael petitioned a Tennessee court alleging that he was actually never adopted and his so-called adoptive parents were actually just exploiting him for money. Now, it's important to note here that Tennessee law does permit someone to be adopted after the age of 18. So keep that in mind. Now, Michael says Sean and Leanne Tui never adopted him, even though they brought him into their home when he was in high school. According to ESPN, Michael contends that three months after turning 18, Sean and Leanne tricked him into signing a document that placed him into a conservatorship, which gave them legal authority to make business decisions on his behalf. Okay, so typically, Under Tennessee law, a conservatorship would be assigned when a disability prevents a person from making decisions in one or more important areas of their life. Michael claims he thought he was signing to be adopted. Now, it appears that the conservatorship has remained in place all these years, and Michael has asked the courts to end that conservatorship. Michael claims he received no money from the making of the film, The Blind Side, That movie made $309 million at the box office. But according to the Tennessean, Sean and Leanne inked a deal where they made a one-time payout of $225,000 plus 2.5% of all the proceeds from the movie. Okay, that's still a significant amount of money that they made. Michael has asked the court to bar Sean and Leanne from using his name or likeness, as well as asking the couple to compensate him a share of any profits made off his name. Michael also told local public radio that he is frustrated with his portrayal in the movie. Now, Sean Tuey told People.com that this isn't the first time that Michael has threatened the couple. Their attorney said that Michael had attempted a shakedown on the couple for $15 million before filing with the court on Monday. The attorney said Michael contacted the couple and said he would plant a negative story about the couple unless they paid him $15 million. Sean and Leanne also contend this isn't the first time that Michael has attempted to extort money from them. The couple's attorney said that anyone with common sense can see that the claims by Michael about Sean and Leanne are hurtful and absurd. He also said the idea they have ever sought to profit off Michael is not only offensive, but also transparently ridiculous. The attorney also said that the couple have always shared profits with Michael and that they have documented proof in accounting statements. And another thing the attorney said, Sean and Leanne have never forced Michael to maintain the conservatorship and that they do not oppose terminating it. Well, since the Tuie's spoke out via their attorney, Michael has responded by saying that he is disheartened by the information that was shared and that this is a difficult situation for him and his family. He then requested that everyone respect his privacy and to allow the lawsuit to speak for itself. Sure seems like a whole lot of he said, he said. I'll let you decide about this lawsuit all on your own. Okay, P.S. I've never seen the Blindside movie all the way through. Just bits and pieces here and there. So maybe it's time I give it a watch. Well, that's your Thursday edition of Rise and Crime. You can always watch this podcast on YouTube. Please subscribe there. It helps not only Rise and Crime grow, but also Murder with My Husband and Binged. And you can follow us on Instagram and TikTok. Join me again on Thursday for more morning crime news. I'm Mama Jules, and keep safe out there. Sick of being upsold at gyms?